So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 7 verse 25 and chapter 8 verse 1. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When we look at all human beings through the lens of the book of Romans, and I'm thinking specifically Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 7 and 8 right here, it um, becomes apparent that there's three stages of growth for the human soul. The first and the last stage are characterized by a singleness of will, and the middle stage is characterized by a divided will. So the first stage of the human will is, uh, of the human soul, I should say, uh, is the state of the heathen. Those uh, Gentiles before Christ came, um, many of those who have never heard the word of God today, all of those who've willfully and fully turned their back on God today. And in this first stage, there's actually no feelings, um, or no accurate feelings of guilt. There's no um, conscience, properly speaking, because uh, function, the, the conscience is clear because functionally there is no conscience, properly speaking. There might be pragmatic regrets, but there isn't conscience in terms of an inner moral sense that's um, rightly keyed to God's own morality. And there's really a, a singleness of will. The heathen does whatever suits him. There's no moral second guessing, no remorse. There's a singleness of will. This is actually the very thing um, that Nietzsche praised when he was describing the Ubermensch, <laughs> was just the heathen's singleness of will. Exercise in pursuit of selfish pleasure and power. Um, the Bible tells us that the final state of all those who are in stage one of the growth of the human soul, their final state is misery uh, and ultimately hell. And it's important to know that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, the kindness of his heart towards us, all of us, every last one, would be stuck in stage one. We'd never get beyond that as, as creatures, as, as human beings. We would all um, have a singleness of will in the darkness. We wouldn't even know that our sort of single-minded pursuit of wickedness was leading us to hell. It was uh, all in darkness. The second stage of the growth of the human soul um, opens up when God speaks through Moses to the, to the Israelites and reveals his law. That's when it's now possible um, to have a true conscience, uh, an inner sense of God's, of what is truly right or wrong, beyond pragmatism, um, beyond the ideas of man. As Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, if it had not been for the law, the law of Moses, I would not have known sin. Right? He's describing the state of the heathen. It's actually the law that made sin known really for the first time. It's interesting that all of what we think about of um, non-Christian ideas of virtue and morality, chronologically, none of them trace back older than Moses, 50, around 1500 BC. And in fact, there's a tradition I'm credulous of that even Plato himself um, read Moses, and that was where so much of his moral thinking was, was formed. And that tradition goes back to a first century Greek historian. But knowing the law of Moses, so here we're in stage two, knowing the law of Moses and doing the law of Moses aren't the same thing, right? Having a God-formed conscience and following the promptings of that conscience are not identical. 
In fact, this new reality presented itself, whereas in the first age, there was a singleness of will. Now there's a divided will. God's people felt pulled in two different directions. Part of them wanted to obey God, and part of them wanted to disobey. And what we see over and over in all the Old Testament stories is the desire to disobey wins most of the time. The human will was divided. And the Bible, um, Paul in Romans 7 actually gives us names to sort of describe this division. He says that there's a part of us, which he calls variously the inner being, the mind. The, the word he usually uses in Greek is nous. That there's a part of us that actually wants what is right, and there's a part of us that doesn't, and he calls that the flesh. And, and it's not the same as body. It's not like flesh, like meat and bone. It's like the part of us, because it's in our mind as well, that like longs for sort of base animalistic selfishness. Like uh, that, and he calls that, the word for that is the sarks. And he says the the noose, the mind, and the flesh, the sarks, are, are, that's what is at war within each of us. He summarizes it all um, in seven, Romans 7, 22 and 23. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And, I mean, very few Christians read Romans 7 and don't experience some resonance, right? Or like, boy, is that true. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm a divide, I'm two men inside myself. Stage two is definitely morally more enlightened than stage one, but therefore it's also more culpable, right? To actually know what is right and then not do it kind of makes you more guilty. I trust that that's true in, in our legal system, but I'll leave that to bread. It is, right? Yeah, the more you know, the more you can be shown to be known, the more guilty you are. As Paul says in Romans 17, actually, um, this knowledge of what is right increased the gravity of sin. He says in Romans 7.13, the law showed sin to be sin, and through the commandments, sin became sinful beyond measure. Right? Stage one was still living in sin, but it's actually made worse and more grave than stage two. Paul says in another letter, Galatians chapter 3.22, I love this summary, the scripture, and I think here he has chiefly in view the law of Moses, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. That is before Christ came. Humans with a conscience were incapable of obeying God. We could now know what God wanted, but we didn't have the power to obey. The, that's why Paul says the law of sin and death reigned triumphant. It won. It won every time in the end. The situation was so grave that Paul would say in um, 7.14 that we were sold under sin, captive, captive to the law of sin. And because of that, it meant that the soul, every human soul, um, was awaiting condemnation. Right? It's a juridical word. It's God's judgment of condemnation, a sentencing of guilt. The fate of the soul with its divided will in stage two ultimately was still the same as that in stage one. It just knew what was happening, being bound towards misery. But then something happened the game changer, as they say, Christ came. I love that pivot at the end of chapter 7. Who will rescue me from this terrible situation? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, right? All of a sudden it turns, well, what has happened since he's come? And in, in the Bible, there's always this double entendre when it speaks about Jesus coming. It means historically, like in AD 30, when he died on the cross. But it also means when he came into our lives, right? There's this kind of double meaning. When he came to us personally, the game changed. He offered himself as a sin offering on behalf of mankind. This is what Paul says in Romans 8.3. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
right? He he looked like an ordinary sinful man, and his body was the same as our sort of frail, broken bodies. And he condemned sin in the flesh, meaning when he died on the cross. And by dying and being raised from the dead, um, many things were accomplished. But I want to point out just three. The first is that the conscience, true conscience, is no longer just available to Jews. The work of Jesus is actually to expand the work of God to Jew, Jew and Gentile. We get this in Ephesians 2, 2.13. Now in Christ Jesus, you, and he's talking to Gentiles, you Gentiles, who were once living in darkness, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right, so it's now a global thing. It's not just for Jews. Um, now stage two is available to all humanity. But if in itself, that wouldn't be good news. That would just make us all more culpable. The good news is that the Spirit of God, which um, Jesus says that if he didn't die and rose again, the Spirit couldn't come. But since he's died and rose again, been raised again, the Spirit has come. Now that the Spirit has been released to indwell the hearts of those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, who have faith in Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile, the Spirit that now lives in us has actually empowered us to do what was impossible before. It was impossible before, and it's something that as Christians, it's hard to even get our minds into the idea of like, what would it be like to have no Holy Spirit helping you? Because our lived existence is with the Holy Spirit helping us, even in our subconscious places. Before, with no Holy Spirit, you would be destined to lose that divided will every time. Now with the Spirit, we can actually, the noose can actually be the sarks, the mind can actually, we can actually follow our nobler impulse. Because the Spirit has changed our will. That's why that prophecy in the Old Testament says um, he's going to replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh, right? A heart, that, a, good will, a good will that can actually obey God. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're no longer shackled to this sort of fatalistic destiny. So before Christ came, um, the very fact that we were always um, bound into this, in this law of sin was proof that we stood already condemned. We didn't need to wait for the judgment day to know that we were going to be judged to go to hell. We stood in a state of condemnation. The very presence of the law of sin testified to it. But now that we've been freed from the law of sin and we have the spirit, the capacity to not just be endlessly stuck in sin, Paul says in Romans 8, one, one of the great verses of the New Testament, I mean, I suppose they're all great, but one of those ones that really sums it up so well, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That part of you that still is inclined towards what is evil isn't, Condemned, Like, you don't stand condemned because that happens. We've now been set free. And a whole new stage of the soul has opened up, stage three, where once again the will is single, um, but instead of being oriented towards selfishness like the heathen, it's oriented towards God. A single will that only desires to love God and to obey Him and please Him. A soul unhindered tending to the glory of God. That's the ideal of the Christian life, and it's the trajectory that we are all on. God, by his grace, will eventually get us there. Now, for most Christians, it won't be till the next life, when we die and we're with the Lord, where our will, there won't be any struggle in heaven. It won't be like, ah, oh, do I worship God or do I be selfish? It's like, it will just be totally native. It will still be free will, but it, but it will be a single will to please the Father. 
But it's actually possible in this life, and most of those who attain it we call saints, that their will was just singularly focused on God. In this third and final stage, one stands completely free of, completely uncondemned, because completely hidden in Christ. But most of us are not there yet. Uh, I am not. Um, as best I know you, my brothers and sisters, I, I don't think you are. We're still grinding it out in stage two. And that's okay. Knowing what is right, but only doing what is right in fits and starts. Sometimes responding to God's grace and sometimes not. But God knew that this would be a long struggle in stage two. And that's why he spends all of Romans 8 urging us not to live according to the flesh. But do you notice how the language has changed? Before Christ came, you are in the law of the flesh, the law of sin. Now it's saying, just don't walk like that. But you only have to urge that if it's a possibility of still happening, right? If we were all, we became Christians and we all just instantly become saints, stage three, um, we wouldn't need the Bible to say, don't walk according to the flesh, because that would already be a given, right? The fact that we are urged by the Bible not to walk according to the flesh shows that God knows we have a long time to work out stage two. Um, the great difference, though, of stage two in Christ versus out of Christ is before Christ came, um, it was still ultimately bad news. But that's why the gospel is good news, that when we fall into sin now as Christians, when we give in to temptation and we sin, apart from the life in the Spirit, that used to then seal our fate. It's like, well, my will is now like more hardened, my heart is hardened against God, and that's just my certain fate. Any single great serious sin would then just, you, you're, you'd be back towards condemnation. But that's not the Christian life. Because God in his mercy gives us continually, frequently, the gift of repentance. So when the heart desires to repent, that's not from, it, from the flesh. The heathen don't repent of anything. Um, Odysseus, you know, weeping, he never repents. Um, it's actually the spirit that gives you the good heart to repent and then it's Christ himself who gives us his mercy afresh so any individual sin that we do doesn't then put us into a condemned state we stand uncondemned that's the great news of the gospel right? that both our proclivity to sin and our actual falling into sin doesn't make us um, stand guilty before God Indeed, he gives us more grace to repent, to continue to be um, more holy, giving ourselves to, to Jesus. Christ himself took on the condemnation so that we don't stand condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to say a sort of a footnote. Um, it's possible for the Christian, I really believe both in the scriptures and in lived life, that uh, it's possible for, for, you know, when we choose to sin and not obey God, it's possible for that choice to kind of snowball to months and years of bad choices, which by his mercy we can still come out of. But it's possible that we could actually become re-enslaved to the law of sin and once again sort of um, are, it, I would say at the least it's uncertain that we're not condemned. And ultimately, we could refuse Christ um, to our deathbed. But that's actually not the emphasis of Romans 8. The emphasis of Romans 8 is the opposite. It's actually not looking at the possible bad news. It's actually looking at the possible good news. It's actually possible to live a life walking by the Spirit now. And this actually wasn't 
Maybe I was just deaf to it, but I feel like this wasn't taught me well when I was growing up. I heard so often that we're all sinners that there was this sort of fatalism of like, well, we sin, this is what we do. And I was like, no, I mean, as a sort of honest admission, yes, we, we do sin. I do fall into sin. And I'm not condemned because of that, because I repent and I turn back to Jesus. But the good news of Romans 8 is actually possible to make the right choice. You actually can follow the Spirit and not the flesh. We actually have the capacity to become saints in this life, which never existed before the Holy Spirit. We have the ability now, the power of God within us, to break us free from cycles of sin that imitate the law of sin. We can live with our, the theologians came up with a fancy word for this sort of proclivity to sin that we still have, even though we're baptized, even though we have faith. They call it concupiscence. Something in us that wants to go to sin. We can live with concupiscence in penitence and and, sort of a a soft heart and, and meekness, but in the knowledge that concupiscence itself doesn't condemn us. We labor on in stage two. We labor on striving by God's grace to, to grow into stage three, thanks to his mercy. And um, because of his mercy towards us, that in stage two, sinners that we are, we stand uncondemned, and in stage three, we'll be gloriously saints. But because of his mercy, as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of anything. Um, if we were still laboring under the Jewish law, before, apart from Christ, if someone were to point out a sin, it would be like, no, 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 that didn't happen, because a sin would mean I'm now condemned. But as Christians, if, a, if the Holy Spirit shines light on a sin or the proclivity to a sin, the Christian can say, oh boy, I, I mean, I'll think about that. You know, maybe I am doing that thing. I didn't even know, most sins I've not been aware of at the time. There's some that you are, are aware of at the time. But there's things where I'm doing it, and then like a week, a month, a year later, it kind of comes up, it's like, man, I, I really slandered that foot. Oh, that, that's a sin. I didn't just do a bad, like some sort of f- fault. It was a sin. But as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of having sin or proclivity to sin pointed out because we say, yeah, that's true about me, but I stand uncondemned because of Jesus. He's working that out in me. I repent of those past sins. I'm waiting for him to transform my will to be a singleness of will. So there's a wonderful freedom there. I think someone, when you've really gripped the gospel, of now there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Um, accusations of fault aren't as scary. It's like, yeah, probably I am at fault. There's a, I love the poet Arden, W.H. Arden, Christian poet. And he has a, a line I love. He says, beloved, we are always in the wrong. <laughs> what a great synthesis. Beloved, I mean, it's not, you're not the enemy because you're in the wrong. We're always in the wrong. At some way, right? Even our best deeds tainted by sinful intents. By the, by the failings of the bad habits of past sins, beloved, we're always in the wrong. The Arden also says, uh, two Arden quotes in one sermon, there you go. Um, in a different poem he says, the blessed will not mind what angle they are regarded from. Right? We don't have to do this sort of, no, 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 don't look at, you know, say, no, I got faults, I got warts, sins, proclivities to sin, but I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm not condemned. Thanks be to him. Amen.